This is an unbelievable passage of Scripture. It's one of my favorite chapters in all of God's Word. And so we'll never plumb all the riches of this, but there's one path here that I believe that God pulls a thread through that I want you to see today. So read with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3. The Bible says, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. I love that. I mean, Mercy was born in the heart of God and designed it. I love that phrase, the father of mercies. And then he says, and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction. It doesn't matter what you might be going through or what might be coming around the corner from you. God has comfort for you in that. He says he comforts us in all affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so through Christ our comfort also overflows. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort and salvation, which is experienced in your endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer And our hope for you, in other words, he's telling them as a church, I know you, I love you, and here's my hope for you, because we know that as you share in the suffering, so that you will share in the comfort. Paul is saying, I want you to know the God of all comforts. Now, he steps out of the truth of that and the foundational theology of that, and he begins to give a very specific human example. He says in verse 8, For I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction that took place in Asia. And if you'll think about it, Paul is a missionary. He's out planting churches, leading people to Jesus. And these places like Corinth, where he had planted and pastored and all of that, maintains a relationship with him. And they love him. They send him uh, support. They send people out to help. They send supplies. And they pray for him while he's out on the field. And so this is an incredible passage of Scripture right here. Uh, They didn't have, obviously, they didn't have Twitter and social media. And you couldn't email your prayer partner and say, Hey, I'm going to this thing today. And will you pray for me? So they're just over here praying, not knowing what's happening, and they're being faithful to pray. And all of a sudden, he starts going through this terrible situation. He says, we were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life. That's how bad it was. Indeed, we personally had a death sentence within ourselves. He's saying, look, we knew we were going to die. We're giving up. We're in prison. They put us here preaching the gospel. We're going to die in the morning. We know so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises from the dead. He has delivered us from such a terrible death, and he will deliver us. We have put our hope in him that he will deliver us again while you join in helping us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gift that came to us through the prayers of many. In other words, the church's prayers prayed him out of that, and God answered their prayers in that circumstance. When he thought it wasn't going to happen, God answered the prayers of the church. Now, as we get started, let me give you just first a couple of thoughts about the concepts of affliction and comfort. Let's think about affliction for a moment. Now, this is a huge word in the original language. It creates a big word picture. It literally means pressure, like an intense, overwhelming pressure. And if we think about it, when we get in a time of affliction or pressure or circumstances that exert themselves on us, 
we respond in a pattern of ways. First thing we do is it's just natural for us. We just sort of bow up, grab our bootstraps, and we just head in, and we're tougher than this, and we can tough this out, we can make this work, and we just cowboy up and we just go, right? But if it continues and the pressure continues and it doesn't relent, then it's when we usually start turning to prayer. We go, okay, Lord, this is really not fun, and will you please remove this and take this away from us? And, you know, that kind of deal. We just start to pray, and we ask God to give us guidance or give us healing or get us out of this or give us wisdom or whatever it is. If it continues, which is the word here, the external pressure begins to create an internal pressure. You see, we go from we're strong enough to handle this to, you know, this is really bad. I'm not sure sure I can do this. And we begin to doubt ourselves a little bit or question ourselves. Or am I in the right spot? Did I take the right job? Am I supposed to be here? Did I marry the right person? Is this right? And we begin to question things around us and question ourselves. And then we've been praying, asking God to remove it, and he may not have readily removed it yet because he hasn't taught us what he wants us to learn. And then we begin to question God. Are you hearing my prayers? Why aren't you removing this? What's going on with this? Do you love me? I'm trying to live for you. I'm tithing. I'm going to church every week, and so-and-so over there just bought a new fishing boat, and they're doing all that, and there's no way they're trying. You're blessing them, and I'm going through this difficulty. And what's going on? And that affliction from the outside begins to create a pressure from the inside as well. It's what Paul then, why he gives this illustration. He says, I don't want you to be unaware in verse 8 of our affliction that took place. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength, so we even despaired of life. We personally had a death sentence within ourselves. Affliction. I mean, this is a serious circumstance that they're in. But in those moments, that's when it's important for us to understand the God of all comfort. That our birthright, when you give your life to Jesus, is that you are born into the family of God. He adopts you as a child. He is your father. He loves you. He protects you. He walks with you. He guides with you. And Paul wants them to understand how to know God in that way in these moments. And so that word comfort is an incredible word. Again, comfort means something in English, but it's got a much bigger meaning in this passage of Scripture. We think comfort, and when I say comfort, we, we tend to go to something like comfort a bull, right? We want to be comfortable. And we think, God, this is not comfortable, and I want you to remove these circumstances from us. Comfortable. Now, in our house, we live in Nashville and Franklin, and in our house, we, we have an 85-inch television. Praise the Lord. It's awesome. Everybody should have one. Christmas is coming up, wives. When I was a singles pastor here, I used to tell the guys all the time, every man's mission in life is to marry over his head. And you want a wife like this. We walk into Best Buy or a place like that, and my wife says, my wife says, My wife is the one who says, Greg, that television is way too small. (laughs) Now, that's a godly woman, right? I mean, that's awesome right there. 
I mean, she knows how life's supposed to work. And so we have this 85-inch television. We have this leather couch. And when I want to be comfortable, when I want to get away from the stresses of life, I want to be comfortable, I get on that couch, I turn on that television. I've got one of those snuggy blankets where they've got the arms and you put your arms through it. And it's like a, my kids got it for me. It's like a stormtrooper from Star Wars. And I'm there with an 85-inch television. I'm snuggled up in this thing. I turn on the Mandalorian on an 85-inch television. The baby is that big. It's awesome. <laughs> Life is good when you're comfortable, right? But when we get in that time, the God of all comfort, what Paul wants us to understand is there's this word comfort is so much bigger and God has so much more for us. One person interpreting scripture, a commentator, wrote this, The comfort that Paul has in mind has nothing to do with a languorous feeling of contentment. It is not some tranquilizing dose of grace that only dulls pain, but it's a stiffening agent that fortifies one in heart, mind, and soul. Comfort relates to encouragement, help, exhortation. Listen, I love this right here. God's comfort strengthens weak knees and sustains sagging spirits so that the one who faces the troubles of life does so with unbending resolve and unending assurance. Now that's awesome. And if you know Jesus as your Savior, that's your birthright. That's what the God of all comfort brings into our lives in times of affliction. They will Pastor Greg, man, I, I'm not sure I get that right now. How do, I do, how do I get there? How do I get there? How do I know that to be the case? Well, that's what I want to show you, three lessons from Paul today. The first lesson is this. We must learn to seek the God of comfort and not the comfort of God. Too many times we want God to remove the circumstances. We want God to fix what's wrong. We want him to get us out of this and make it go away. It's not comfort that we're looking for. It's comfortable. And so what we've got to learn is, and understand is, I just don't want what God does. I want the person of God. Look at what Paul says here. He goes back to, in verse 9, we personally had a death sentence within ourselves. And he's very specific here. He says, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God. Look at his next one. He says in verse 10, we have put our hope in him. It is Jesus to whom we turn. It is the God who does all of that in our lives. He's the one that we need. You see, he knows what kind of comfort he's going to bring. He knows what he's going to do in those moments. And it may not look like what we wanted. It may not be the way that we would have designed it, but it is awesome because it is the father of mercies and the God of that kind of comfort who is stepping into our lives to impact us, carry us, strengthen us, strengthen sagging knees, engage our spiritual backbone to get us through those times so that we stand for him and we show the world what Jesus does when he steps into the life of a believer. How do we do that? It's a very practical process that every believer needs to have. As preachers, we cannot tell you enough to study God's word and have a quiet time. 
I mean, I love it that Pastor Steve makes prayer and Bible study a focus in your lives as a church family. And so here's how you do that. How you focus on God himself is you take scripture and prayer. It's about scripture and prayer. Now, here's specifically what you do, though. When you get in that time and you step into your scripture passage, look for pictures of God. What does it say to you about who God is? Not what he can do, not what his hand might be, but who is God? Place your focus on him rather than what he can do for you. And then as you're praying through those scriptures, you listen to him. You give him your requests, and then you listen through that scripture of who he is. Paul did that in this passage of scripture. He pointed them to the God of all comfort in very specific ways. Look at just a few of the ways that you can do that in this passage of scripture. First of all, he says, he's the God of salvation. Verse 3, praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is very specific there about who Jesus is, and he wants us to understand that this is all built on the foundation of salvation. He uses all three of the names or titles that we use to refer to Jesus. Look what he says, Lord Jesus Christ. He says, Lord, that is who Jesus is as God, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Uh, The Apostle John, in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, he says this, in the beginning was the Word, and that was one way he referred to Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What we have to understand is our sin has an effect. God, the Lord, is a holy God. Sin must be punished, and it is by his holiness and his righteousness that he would judge sin. And yet at the same time, it was by his holiness that he was able to create the plan of salvation because the Bible teaches us the wages of sin is death. For a person's sin, a person must die. For a man's sin, a man must die. The Bible says by one man's sin entered into the world. All of us are sinners by birth, by nature, and by choice. And so there had to be a human death to pay the price for human sin. But all of us have sinned, then who's going to die in our place? Only the Lord Jesus Christ had the holiness to come and to live a life of perfection. Only Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, could come and live that sinless life so that his life could be a substitute for ours. The Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is his earthly name. If you walked up to him, you say, hey, bro, what's happening? Good to see you, Jesus. I mean, that was his name, right? It's the same name in the Old Testament of Joshua. And it means the Lord will save If you think about, the angel was very specific when he came to Mary. You're going to have a son, and you're going to name him Jesus. When he showed up with Joseph, and he said, listen, you need to marry that girl. God is doing something special. Joseph, you will have a son, and you will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. And Jesus took on the form of a man, and he lived a human life as a man because a man has to die for man's sins. But Jesus lived a holy life without sin, and he would not be judged. But when he voluntarily went to the cross, there he died in our place, so that his human life with no judgment of sin attached to it, God could place our sins on his, and he could die as a substitute. And we give him our sins, and when you come and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's a spiritual exchange that occurs. Your life of sin goes on him, and he pays the price for that sin and he gives you his righteousness and you are born again and you are saved from your sin. 
And then the Bible says the Lord Jesus Christ, he was the anointed one, the anointed sacrifice. God planned from the beginning of time that he would save you and me through the salvation of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. Life begins to look different. It doesn't matter what a struggle you're in. When you begin to think, man, Jesus died for me on the cross. Jesus conquered death and sin. When you begin to doubt and you question and you say, does God really hear my prayers from the beginning of time? God planned salvation through Jesus. He looked down the corridors of time and he saw you and he knew you'd be in church today or he knew you'd be in the church that you grew up in or he knew the person that knew Jesus that would introduce you to Jesus and you would meet Jesus and he put that in place in your life. God did all of those things for you. He is the God of salvation and life looks different when you're focused on him that way. He's the God of comfort, as we're talking about. I won't spend a lot of time on that. He's the Father of mercies. He's the God of mercies. Forgiveness and grace and love that we don't deserve, that's the God. When you question his heart or you don't see his hand, is he up there? He is the God of mercies. Paul reminds them of that, and he points it out. He is also the God of abundance. Jesus said, I've come, you might have life, you might have it more abundantly. Look at what the Bible says here. He says, he is the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction. It says in verse 5, For as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so through Christ our comfort overflows. He is the God of abundance. Don't let anybody ever tell you that old junk that they used to say in church about God shows up in the nick of time and gives you just what you need or whatever. That's just hogwash, Okay? That's garbage. That's not what the Bible teaches. Listen, when my dad, when I got the call on that Monday night from my family that my dad had been transported to the hospital, let me tell you what, Jesus knew that moment was coming before I ever did. Jesus was already in that moment. Jesus already knew what was in my heart. He knew what was in my family's heart. He knew what we would need. He had already planned the conversation with my dad where my dad said, you need to be anchored in this passage of Scripture because you're going to need the God of all comfort. God was there before I showed up in that moment. And then when I got that phone call and my brother and sister were dealing with that, God was already there and he was in resurrection power and he was there with all of eternity in view. He had already set up in place for us that our father was a Bible teacher who taught of heaven and knew of Jesus and had a testimony of salvation. And we already were thinking about heaven. And that doesn't happen because of us. That's because Jesus was already there. He doesn't show up in the nick of time. He was there with more than you need. He's the God of abundance. Please don't ever forget that. He's the God of purpose. Look at what the Bible says. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those around us. He puts you in the family you're in because your family needs Jesus. And he wanted a model, an example of Jesus. He put you there so that he could overflow you with that comfort and give you so much more than you can handle that it poured out of your life and it sloshed out on the family around you. He brings so much more in your life. He puts you in that school, students. He puts you on that ball team, that cheerleading squad, that band. He puts you on that street. Folks, he puts you in the job that you're in, the place where you are. You may hate that job, and you may be the only example of Jesus in that place. There is a purpose that he brings. 
It is so good to know that Jesus never wastes the moments of life because he's the God of purpose. He is the God who raises from the dead. We can't ever get away from that truth. The Paul says, we knew we were going to die, but that's okay with us. They put us in prison for preaching Jesus. If they kill us for putting in preaching Jesus, that's okay. He wrote in three more chapters over, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He told the church in Philippi to live as Christ and to die as gain. Why? Because he knows the God who raises from the dead. Heaven is real, and we know we're going to be there. Why? Because God is the God who raises from the dead. Is your God powerful enough? Is there enough abundance in your God? Well, it is if he's the God who raises from the dead. He's the God of hope. Paul said, we put our hope in him. How do you have hope in those moments? The book of Proverbs says, hope set aside makes the heart sick. What do you do in those moments when you lost hope? You've got to put your eyes on Jesus. You've got to see him, hope. Now, hope is so much more in Scripture than it is today. I, I, Drew and I were talking about before the service, I grew up doing the singing Christmas tree. They started when I was a kid, my age folks. And so I did that seventh grade all the way through high school and did all that. And it was awesome. I have memories of it. And I told the first service, I, I stood right about there on the third row where that loop is, a little off to the side. I wasn't handsome enough to put in the front. So they put me over on the side. And most of the time I was paying attention and learning the words and singing. But sometimes I was distracted because there was this young lady on the fifth row right up here. And, you know, I had hope. <laughs> I hoped in the break she'd talk to me. I hoped I could ask her to go out and get a Coke after, uh, you know, practice the rehearsal or whatever. But, you know, the Bible gives us so much more than hope that we think of. In Bible, hope is concrete. That means it's going to happen. Hope is I know it's coming. Hope is I know it's real. Hope is I know what's around that corner. I may not know specifically, but I know Jesus is there and whatever it is, he's gonna be there with me. And I'm confident of that. Paul said, we put our hope in God because we know he raises from the dead. And finally, he's the God who answers prayer. I, I love this part and I, I wish I could spend a lot of time and I can't, but, here, but I just want you to be reminded he answers prayer. Think about the picture of this. They don't know what's going on. They're just faithfully praying. And Paul's over here, and all of a sudden he gets in this circumstance, and it takes weeks for word to go from here to there. So they have no idea what's happening. They're just praying faithfully. And Paul gets in this affliction, and there's a struggle, and then he gives up hope, and they know they're going to die, and they're just looking forward to heaven, and that's what that is. And here's what he says. We have put our hope in him that he will deliver us again while you join in helping us by your prayers. Many will give thanks on behalf, on our behalf for the gift that came to us through the prayers of many. It was the prayers of the church that God answered that released Paul from prison. It's because God's people were praying. And we get in those moments and that affliction can be great enough that we're wondering if God's going to answer our prayers. You don't have to worry about God's going to answer your prayers if you're part of a church like this. Because you've got people around you who are praying for you. Listen, you, 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 I don't want to hassle you about being church just because I'm a pastor, but this is one of the best reasons why you need to be in church. If the pandemic has gotten you out of habit and you're out or you're not saved and you're wondering and you're searching and you don't know if you should come to church or not, let me tell you what, 
as somebody who has been resting in the prayers of the church for the last three weeks, I'm telling you, it's awesome to be in a church where people are praying you through. This is a church that prays you through. This is a church where people will stand by you and they'll pray over you. And even if they don't know everything happening in the moment, they are praying and God answers the prayers of his people. Listen, I know what people say. I know the excuses and they go, hey man, there's hypocrites in the church or whatever. Listen, don't let God, don't, don't, don't let somebody tell you because there are some hypocrites and you miss the privilege of being with people who seek the face of God on your behalf and he answers their prayers. Be in church. Lesson one, seek the God of comfort in how you do that. Lesson two, this is one that I think as preachers we don't mean to, but we don't give you enough. We don't remind you enough. Lesson two is this. Seek the heart of God and not just happy endings. Sometimes we're trying to be encouraging. We're trying to build you up. We want to build your faith. We want you to pray more because you believe God answers prayer. But here's the reality of living in a fallen world. Death is real. Pain is real. Tears are real. Stuff goes wrong. Sometimes the doctor's report is bad. Sometimes your company goes under. Sometimes that job does not work out like you thought it was going to. Sometimes the people around you make mistakes. And it's just hard sometimes. And Paul says very clearly here, he didn't know there was a happy ending, and he was fine with that. We're going to die, and it's okay because God raises from the dead, and we're going to trust the Lord regardless of what happens. As you're reading through the Christmas story, you're going to read uh, in, in December. You're, if you will, stop and take some time. There's just a few verses, but read about a woman named Anna in the book of Luke. After Jesus was born and they brought him to the temple to do the ceremonial things, and they're talking to one of the priests, and they're praying over him. The guy's pronouncing prophecies. And this lady named Anna walks up. She's a sweet little old lady. The Bible says she had been married for seven years, and then her husband died, and she had been a widow for 84 years. She'd been alone, lost her husband in just seven years. But the Bible says she lived there by the tabernacle. She was a teacher of God's word, and she didn't let that make her bitter. She trusted in God. It was about him and his heart and not a happy endings. And, he, and she looked for the salvation of Israel. She looked for the promised Messiah. And when she walked up on that and she saw the baby Jesus, she knew that God would be faithful. And she pronounces and says, this is the Messiah God has promised. And the Bible said that she went telling everyone about Jesus who was born. You see, we don't live and rise and fall on happy endings. Somebody encouraged me a couple of weeks ago to Google the sermon that Pastor E.V. Hill preached for his first wife's funeral. She's a great lady, and he talked about her. She was awesome and had died young of cancer. And I was so glad I did. I would encourage everybody to read this incredible message and power as he preaches that. And he talked about what a godly wife she was and a gift from God. You know, the Bible says an inheritance and lands or, or lands and, and money and riches, those are an inheritance from fathers, but a godly wife is a gift from God. I can't find anywhere where it says husbands are a gift to anybody, right? <laughs> but wives are a gift from God. And he talks about that. And then he went to his text from Job chapter 1. And after Job had lost his kids, lost wealth, 
going through all that experience, they come and tell them all those things. Job 1.21, the Bible says this, that Job's response was the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he said, the testimony of Christian maturity is that you can praise the Lord when he takes, the way, takes away in the same way as when he gives. And so we need to learn to look past these things. Life is hard. We know it's going to be that way. But God is so much bigger than that. He is the God of all comforts. And when you put your eyes back on him, you can trust whatever it is because you know what his heart is for you. We need to learn to seek the God of comfort and not the comforts of God. We need to seek his heart and not happy endings. And the final point, final lesson I want to share with you is this. When you live for eternity, it clarifies your perspective of life. Too many of us, we're just living for the moment. We're doing what we do. We're taking care of business, and it's hard, man. The pace of life is faster than it's ever been. The duties and responsibilities that we have, they seem greater. The dangers seem greater. There's so much going on. But listen, what we've got to learn to do is understand that our calling is to live for eternity. Just listen to this. You don't have to turn to it. In chapter 4, here's the way Paul explains it as he continues to write this letter. We are pressured in every way, but not crushed. Why? Because we rest in the God of all comforts. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. And because of that, he goes on in verse 14 to say this, We know the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead. We never get away from that truth. And he will raise us also with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit so that grace extended through more and more people. In other words, more and more people getting saved. Our examples of God's grace, our examples of the gospel, our showing and introducing people to the God of all comforts through our lives, that's more and more people. It may give cause for thanksgiving to increase to God's glory. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day by the God of salvation, the God of mercies, the God of abundance, the God of hope, and the God who raises from the dead. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us, listen to what he says, an absolute, incomparable, eternal weight of glory. He's living for eternity. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That's why Jesus said, lay it for yourself, treasures in heaven, the moth and rust and decay you can't take away. A few weeks ago, I'm wearing my new glasses. A few weeks ago, I had to go to the eye doctor and get a new pair. When I was 40, somebody turned out the lights Nobody warned me that was happening. And I began to tell my wife, Janet, I'd say, Janet, that color, that's just a drab color. I don't like that color. Janet, it's dark in this room. I hate those lamps. I, that's terrible. I hate the way they decorate it. Their, their house is so dark. I don't like that house. I said, man, I don't like that restaurant. I just, man, it's just, I just not, I don't like it. I can't read that. That's all fuzzy. It's like the print leaked or something. You got water on it and it's all fuzzy. And finally she said, Greg, 
It's not the colors. It's not the restaurant. It's not their house. It's you. You're getting old. And your perspective is bad. You see, the things that I was going through, the things that were changing in my life, were making things appear fuzzy. They were making things appear less bright. They were making it where we couldn't see the light. My perspective was off. But when I got my perspective fixed, I saw everything as it was. You see, heaven is real, and we're supposed to be living for heaven. The Bible says, it's illustrated in this passage of Scripture, there are only two things going to be in heaven. Only two things will live for eternity that we can send there. The people that we lead to Christ more and more cause thanksgiving to increase to God's glory. And then when we walk the walk of faith and we live for Jesus and we model his comfort in these difficult times in a way that there are spiritual victories that are won and it sloshes out on other people and they're elevated, in those moments of walk and obedience by faith, we'll have rewards waiting for us in heaven. The Bible repeatedly tells us it's the souls that are saved and it's the walk of faith that is being blessed and rewarded that we make here and we receive those rewards in heaven. We've got to begin to understand that this is not an affliction. It's a classroom for spiritual learning. We've got to learn this is not an affliction. This is a battlefield for spiritual victories. That's why Paul wrote to the Colossian church in chapter 3, uh, verse 1. He said, listen, if you have been raised with Christ, the God who raises from the dead, we never get away from that. If you have been raised with Christ, then your life is with him. And you need to put your focus on heaven where he is because that's where your life is. Don't focus on things on the earth, but things that are above. In 1 Corinthians, in the first letter he wrote to these churches, in chapter 15, he's talking about the glorious power of the resurrection. And he gets to the end, and this is what he says, Death has no victory. The grave has no sting. Therefore, therefore, be steadfast, immovable. Keep serving. Keep working because your labor in Jesus will never be in vain. We've got to grab a hold of eternity. We've got to start looking at heaven. We've got to start praying daily over the people in our lives who need Jesus. We've got to find somebody that you're going to bring to sing Christmas tree so they can get saved. Even if they don't come, you still create an opportunity to share your testimony. You've got to have a list of people because your eyes are on heaven. When you're facing that, uh, that struggle, when you're facing that temptation, when you're thinking about, am I going to take the time to get involved in children's ministry at church or not? You've got to start living with a view of eternity. As Paul would say, the absolutely incomparable, eternal weight of glory. Are you living for eternity? That first begins with giving your life to Jesus Christ, the Savior whom God raised from the dead. He will change your eternity if you'll trust him as your Savior. 